Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart podcast. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and this is podcast number 174. Today, I sit down and chat with Dr. Jared Carter. So if you're in the physical therapy world and you're interested in a cash-based practice, then I'm pretty sure you know who Dr. Jared Carter is. He is a great resource for all things cash-based physical therapy. And in today's interview, we talk about his latest resource, which is his new book, entitled Medicare and Cash Pay Physical Therapy. So what he did was he went through all those rules and regulations from Medicare, and we know there is a lot of them, and he put them together in one book. So basically, he has done the leg work for you. You do not have to go and waste hours and hours of time, not waste, spend hours and hours of time looking up different rules and regulations for Medicare. He's done it for you, and he's put it all in this book. I read it. It's a great book. One of the best things about it is there's all the links to to all of the different rules and regulations right there in the book. So if you have a question, you want to read the rule, you want to read the regulation, all you have to do is click and it takes you right to that link. So it's really, really great. And I'm telling you, he put a lot of time into this book. This is not easy. Okay. That being said, in this episode, we talk about, of course, the book, but we also talk about why he decided to become a physical therapist, how he started his cash-based practice, which is crazy. I, I, the way he and I started are completely opposite, um, but they still work. There's no right or wrong answer there. Um, and then we talk about the book. We give a little preview of the book, Medicare and Cash Pay Physical Therapy. We talk about the difference between participating, non-participating, and having no relationship with Medicare. We talk about that concept of opting out of Medicare, which is something I hear a lot. Uh, we talk about what is an ABN and when should it be used versus having a private contract with the patient. And then finally, we talk about uh, is there a time when a Medicare patient can go to you as a cash-based practitioner? So does that exist? Can they do it? And we talk all about that in today's episode. But one thing I want to make very, very clear as a quick disclaimer, neither Jared nor I are lawyers. So if you have a cash-based practice and you have a specific question about Medicare regarding your individual case, you might want to contact a healthcare lawyer and they will be able to kind of walk you through it and tell you if what you're doing is acceptable or not acceptable. So please keep that in mind. And I think we said it a couple of times during the interview as well. Okay, so moving on to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Community Board. So we've got a couple of things this week. Number one, obviously this isn't, I'm interviewing Jared for my podcast. And on Thursday the 8th, Jared's going to release the interview he did with me on his podcast. So if you want to hear that, go to www.drjaredcarter.com. So we're kind of doing a little crossover event. He came on my podcast, I went on his, and it was really a lot of fun. We did it in a couple days, uh, a couple weeks ago. So very fun. Oh, and did I mention Jared's book comes out on Tuesday the 6th? So you can go to drjaredcarter.com and you can get the book starting tomorrow uh, the 6th. Okay, so that's that's uh, one thing on the community board. The other thing on the community board is if you are going to be in Colorado in November or you want to take a vacation to Colorado in November, um, on November 14th and 15th, Canadis Athletics is going to be hosting a course at the University of Colorado entitled Biomechanics of Return to Sport for the Lower Extremity. So Canadis Athletics, their mission is to lead the future of sports medicine and sports performance through science and engineering. Um, I met with these guys last year at CSM in Indianapolis, and they're really great. Uh, They were on the podcast probably last January or February leading up to CSM. So if you want to listen to that, kind of go back through the archives at uh, podcast.healthywealthysmart.com and look for the one that's uh, STEM in physical therapy. 
the instructors, one of the instructors has been on this podcast a ton of times. It's Kyle Ridgeway. Uh, so if you're going to be around November 14th and November 15th in Colorado, definitely check it out. And you can go to canadasathletics.com to learn more about them. And that's C-O-N-A-T-U-S athletics.com. All one word, no dashes, no no periods or anything like that. And it will also be in uh, the newsletter that this week, normally it comes out on Tuesday. I'm going to wait a day and I'm going to put it out on Wednesday uh, just to help Jared with his book. So if you're not signed up, go to podcast.healthywealthysmart.com and sign up for the newsletter. That's where I put a lot of extras from each episode. So be sure to uh, sign up for the newsletter ASAP. The next thing on the community board is there's going to be a special Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart podcast that is going to be coming out on Thursday the 8th with uh, Rick Gawenda, and we're going to talk about the ICD-10. So a lot of you have been sending in questions, which is awesome. If you have any other questions, you can either tweet them to me at Karen Litzy NYC, or you can email them to me through the podcast website, either way. So look out for that on the 8th. It will be Rick Gawenda talking all about ICD-10 and the transition and commonly asked questions. And I think we'll maybe even do a tutorial for a couple of diagnoses for people because I think that would be really helpful. So a lot of stuff going on. And of course, I have to mention last but not least, PT Day of Service is October 17th, which is Saturday. If you're in New York City, uh, you can contact me. We're going to be working through New York Cares. We're going to be going to a school in Brooklyn to help beautify that school. If you want to join the team, email me because you have to join the team by this Friday the 9th. Okay, so I think that's everything. Have a great week and enjoy this episode with Dr. Jared Carter. So I am here today with physical therapist and author of the new book, Medicare and Cash Pay Physical Therapy, Jared Carter. Hey, Jared, how are you? Doing great. How are you doing? I'm good. Twice in one week. Yes, yes. It's a fun event. We should yes, do it more often. I know. Twice in one week. So I was on Jared's podcast. He's on mine. This is great. So um, like I just said in the intro... So you've now you've written a book before, an ebook before. So this is another book, Medicare and Cash Pay Physical Therapy. So before we get into that, just for people who maybe aren't familiar with you, even though you've been on this podcast, I think a couple of times already, mm-hmm. can you just give everyone a little background on you and what you do and where you are? So where I'm at uh, is Austin, Texas. And um, I'm a physical therapist here and I have a private practice that, um, like yours, is all uh, 100% cash-based. Been doing that for about five years. And about a year into it, um, I decided, based on some questions I was getting asked by others who were interested in in the model and, and had kind of taken notice that I was having success with it, I started to blog and and um, and eventually started a podcast about a year and a half ago. Um, so you know a lot of writing, a lot of blogging about the the cash based uh, or out of network business model in in the realm of physical therapy, especially when it comes to Medicare. All the Medicare stuff is really specific to physical therapy, but um, the the blogging and and whatnot kind of uh, spans out to other related fields as well. But that's kind of the the background of of what brought me to this point of of uh, you know finally finishing this book on Medicare because that's kind of the one of the main things I'm asked about and I had to figure out for myself. Yeah, and and you know, as a fellow cash PT owner, I thank you for for the book. Um, yes, <laughs> because it does it sheds a lot a lot of uh, light on a lot of different situations that one may be in as a cash based practitioner. Um, but even before we get into the book, and don't worry, everyone, we will definitely get into the book in a second. Um, this is a question that I've asked most of the PTs who've come on the show lately, and I would just love to hear your story a little bit as to why you decided to become a physical therapist. Okay. So I remember back 
my first kind of desire to become a physical therapist was all the way back into kind of eighth, ninth grade. I had just started diving. I was a springboard diver in high school and college. And um, I hurt my shoulder, had like an AC joint separation and went to physical therapy. And um, I had a good experience there. And I thought, this is interesting, uh, kind of a cool type of career. I was already really obviously active and and into uh, that kind of thing. And, and I had always been that like kid that gave the good massages. You know, I always felt naturally inclined to kind of help people with my hands somehow. And then um, right around that time, my half-brother who um, was born and raised in Australia, our father is Australian, he was starting physical therapy school in Australia. And um, he kind of let me know about it. And he and and when I had had that shoulder injury, most of my physical therapy, I mean, I don't remember them ever touching me. It was, it was pretty uh, cookie cutter, actually, even though I did have a, a decent experience. Um, there was really no manual component. And I was thinking, you know, I really would like to be able to use my hands. Uh, so I was even thinking of like chiropractic back then. But then when I talked to my, my brother who was in physical therapy school at the time, he was like, no, 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 mate, uh, you, you know, only in America, they don't use the hands. And, and so, that's a pretty good Australian accent. Well, yeah, I've had a little practice, but yeah. So, um, thank you. So anyways, I, you know, he kind of opened my eyes to the fact that, um, most of, of the physiotherapy around the world was very manual based and that it was, you know, at that time, not really widely spread in the U S but of course, now we see that it's a huge thing here and over time. And so, you know, over time it's grown. And I, I, having known that I kind of set my sights on, on physical therapy as a career way back then and never changed my mind. Um, just all the way through, uh, went straight through college. I took a year off between, uh, college and uh, undergrad and, and uh, PT school to um, just do some traveling and have some fun. Um, but yeah, just all the way through till got to PT school and I chose University of St. Augustine because I was specifically looking for a school that was very kind of manual therapy uh, focused. And um, yeah, so that's, that's kind of how I got interested in it and, and made my way through school. And how did you go from, so you graduated from PT school. Where, where did you go from there? Did you work in a hospital or a clinic? So straight out of PT school, I, I came back to Austin and was in a really great clinic. It was an insurance-based clinic, but, you know, we only scheduled one-on-one -on -one visits and had 30 minutes one-on-one um, -on -one time. So two, two patients an hour was really a nice setup. Um, I had at that point already seen in rotations and stuff how bad it could be. So I was really happy about the situation I found straight out of school and the, the boss that I had, um, I really chose that because of him and his, his mentorship. Um, and he's, he remains a mentor of mine, uh, which is really nice. But then about, um, a little over a year into that, um, a little past a year, I guess it was into that. I, I had uh, an opportunity to come up, which I talked to you about yesterday, and, and when I was interviewing you um, about, you know, basically I had a, the opportunity to be a private physical therapist for a couple um, who needed a lot of physical therapy, but were constantly traveling, and they weren't, you know, they weren't making it a point in each place to. to go to their visit, you know, go find a physical therapist and, and get what they needed. So they decided to hire someone to travel with them. And so that's what I did for a year. It was, it was a very unique scenario. Um, <clears throat> I was still really young in my career and, um, I kind of realized, man, I'm not exactly advancing my skills working on the same two people. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, for other reasons, I, it was, it was kind of time to move on. Um, they're wonderful people, but it was, it was time to move on. And so at that point, um, I did a little bit of PRN work because I wanted to spend some time down in Panama. I was, <laughs> this is funny, I'm getting into a lot of personal stuff, but, um, I was interested in, in, um, looking at land down there and I didn't end up buying any land, but I, I got to, I learned how to salsa dance and got better with my Spanish. So that was fun. And then right as I was in, uh, like halfway in that, that time in Panama, um, someone who I had shadowed with in uh, pre-physical therapy school, who was a fantastic manual therapist, um, reached out to me via a common friend to see if I was around or, you know, what was going on in my life because he was ready to hire somebody. And so I said, Hey, you know, I'll be back in like three weeks and I'm, I'm ready, you know? And so that was a cash-based clinic. Okay. And, uh, I learned a ton from that. It was, it was all, you know, kind of my model now, our 
visits one-on-one, aggressive manual therapy, uh, a lot of athletics, but also, you know, uh, plenty of plenty of parents of the athletes really sp- run the gamut of, of of age range and and syndromes and injuries that I was treating, but learned a ton and um, you know about maybe a year year and a half of that, and uh, we we had a parting of ways uh, for a number of reasons, and I had I at that point I was kind of at a crossroads and was like, okay, do I want to go back to work with someone, uh, you know, do I want to start my own thing? If I do, is it, am I going to, you know, stay, go with this cash-based, um, you know, gamble, or am I going to go the traditional insurance-based route? And ultimately I was pretty quickly, I had patients who were trying to find me, um, you know, since I wasn't at that practice for a few weeks. And I said, you know what, I'm just going <clears> to, <throat> just going to go for it and, and try the cash-based thing and see what happens. And, uh, and so that was, yeah, about five and a half years ago, I think now. And um, it's gone great. It's not that it has been easy, but um, it's gone very, very well. And uh, <clears throat> about two or three years into it, I probably could have started adding staff. And I actively decided against that so that I could focus on um, the stuff I'm doing online with, with uh, you know, teaching others about this model. And, and But now I'm, I'm kind of at a point where it's hard to get people in quickly enough where I'm, I'm losing a lot of business. And mm. even the established patients that I really have a good connection with and a good friendship with, um, you know, when they have to wait weeks to get in or it's either that or like, you know, work my hands to the bone. And, and I just, I'm at a point where I'm like, man, I really want to be able to help out my former, especially my former patients when they, when they get re-injured, uh, in a more timely manner. So, um, probably, you know, within the next year, when my lease goes up, I'm going to be looking for bigger space and start to, you know, create a situation where I have some other, some other people helping me out to, to work in my clinic. So that's kind of where I'm at now and how I got here. Great. And, and I think I mentioned during your podcast that uh, you just sort of dove right in with both feet, yeah. And, <clears throat> yeah, and I kind of took my time and 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 kind of uh, built it up over a number of years until I had like a, what I felt was a good sustainable practice. Right. Um, would you? What were the pros and cons of just jumping right in? Right. So it's not something I necessarily recommend. Um, but, you know, I think that one of the pros is that you are exceedingly motivated to work hard to make it happen because if, unless you have a bunch of savings, then you're you gotta screwed. Eat. Yeah, you got to eat. And so I didn't have a bunch of savings. Um, I mean, I had like maybe a month's worth of living expenses or two months what? at most. I know. Wait, uh, you know, so – Panama drain. I mean, that must have been like I I I think I said on on your show I had like an anxiety attack. Doing that would have like set me over the edge. Like I would have been in the hospital. Yeah. No, I just I mean, so I can understand like that's gives you a real kick in the butt to it does. to yeah. get yourself out there and get going. But you know what else you said on the show, which I really liked? You just I just said what you know what helped you to get over that that anxiety and you said I just ran the numbers it was like yeah I was I only needed like five patients a week to make the same I was making in my part time job right and and you know so f- same thing it's like when when most not that entrepreneurship and private practice is for everyone but you know those who are inclined in that direction you know when they run the numbers it's like man you know I'm. I really could be making a lot more with less time. But what, and for those of you who are thinking that direction, what you really don't recognize is how much overhead and work it is to have, you know, to have your own practice. And so don't discredit what your current employer is going through, um, you know, and why they take what they do take uh, from you in terms of what you're bringing into the clinic. I mean, there's a give and take there and, and you have to recognize that it's it's probably a lot more work and and a lot more expense than you would you would actually expect uh, expect if you've never owned your own business. So I'll just throw that out there. But, yeah, I just pretty much had you know, a month or two of savings at most. And so I had to make it happen fast. So I was, you know, when I wasn't seeing that one or so patients a day uh-huh. at that time, you know, one or maybe no. two or three a week, <laughs> it was like, Hustling. okay, you know, how many networking events can I go to this week? How quickly can I get my website up? How, you know, what else can I do to pound the pavement? And so I found it, you know, how many blogs can I write? How, you know, 
so I was working 12, 14 hours a day. And when you do that and you have, you're able to, you know, you've got a bit of personality and charisma and you can, you can kind of, um, you know, build a big, build a good rapport with your current patients and those you're meeting in your networking events. Like, you know, you can get things going pretty quickly. Um, but at the same time, I've also consulted with people who have tried to to dive right in and it took a long time to get going and it was very stressful for them. So I'm not saying that it's going to go that way for everyone. Um, but I guess I just kind of, you know, busted butt and, 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 and got lucky, you know, here and there. So. Yeah. And I think it's really important also to mention, I've mentioned this on, on past shows. I think it, especially for students or new grads who are thinking, you know, oh, I'm going to go into a cash-based business because, A, you know, I'm going to make X amount of money. Um, it's going to be very lucrative. And B, uh, I look at other people and they have all this free time. They can do it. <laughs> you don't. Yeah. Like, it may be, maybe if you've been doing it for 10 years. Yeah, like, if you've been doing it a while. I mean, yeah. I've been doing it for 10 years. And I don't have that much free time. Like, I think it's important to note that, like, you are working, like you said, I'm glad you said it, like 12 to 14 hour days to get yourself started. It is not like you just open your doors and people magically show up. There's so much back end work that goes into it. And I just don't want people to think that the moment you have a cash based business that, you know, A, you're just rolling in money. (laughs) <laughs> and because you're not, and B, you have like all this free time on your hands. I don't know where yeah. that comes from. I don't know where that, that, I mean, I don't know. What do you think? It's, it's, it's just because it's usually coming. It's the idea that people have when they, when they've not started their own business, whether it's physical therapy or, or, or business in general, yeah. you know? And so they'll, you know, then that's why it's good for us to say, you know, in situations like this, like, don't expect that to be the case. Now, five years into it, and probably for the last three years, I mean, if I weren't doing all this online stuff and creating content writing, and and that kind of thing, my day would be kind of five or six hours of of, um, patient treatment, Mm -hmm. and maybe an hour of admin at most. Mm -hmm. And so in that case, you know, I would have a lot of free time, but I don't like all of my income, all of my revenue, uh, to be coming from just one source. I think that's too high of a risk. Um, Mm -hmm. so then, you know, people like you and my, you and me, we, we do other things and we, we supplement that and and create other revenue streams. And, you know, so, um, with that being the case, I still work, you know, 10 plus hours a day in most cases, but if it were just the clinic, yeah, I mean, now it'd be, it would be a pretty relaxed lifestyle. And I think that the the cool thing about it is that from the beginning, even though you might be working really hard when you're not doing patient care to build up your practice, that time with your patient is usually a lot more relaxed. Oh, absolutely. And, and that yeah. is the nice part that you can kind of expect from the beginning. Yeah. Um, that, you you know, not being dictated by insurance companies and Medicare. Um, it, it's really a nice feeling from the beginning, even if you're working 12 hours a day to get things going. Oh, yeah, I agree. And, and I've said that before. I, I like this model. The patients like it because they have the luxury of, I mean, I go to people's homes or, or businesses. They have the luxury of having someone to come to them and spend an hour with them. Mm-hmm. But I always say it's a luxury for me because I have the opportunity to spend an hour with them. Yeah, and I'm sure yeah. you probably feel the same way. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's nice. And not to, say that, not to say that everyone has to have that model of, you know, hour long visits. Right. I mean, if you look at, uh, you know, there's, there's, I've kind of had the, um, what do you say, the objection or have been hearing the objection of, oh, well, like, well, the cash based model isn't scalable. Um, we'll look at companies like the joint, which is, you know, it's a chiropractic thing, but okay. it's a cash based model in, you know, a related field. And they've got, you know, it's a franchise model. They've got, you know, hundreds of locations around the country don't tell me cash base can't can't be big, you know. Of course it can. And I've I know most I I know many, you know, practice owners that have more than one clinic and and multiple therapists in this model, whether it's, you know, 100% cash pay or out of network where they actually do the, the billing on behalf of mm-hmm. the patient, but they're still out of network, you know. It's to right. me the patient's people, still paying up front. Yeah, people differentiate those things, but I kind of use them synonymously I, because I, I agree. the end yeah. result is basically the same. So, although I think it is a nice value add, for those practices that are already set up 
um, to, to bill on mm -hmm. behalf of patients and maybe transition out of network to continue billing on behalf of patients. And then there's some other advantages to that as well. But, but at any rate, um, you know, I, I do think it is, I think it's a scalable thing and it's not necessarily that you've got to have, you know, take on our model of, you know, hour long visits. But I do think that that is a great thing to offer people and you don't feel rushed and it's just a nice kind of work life balance feeling to it. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I love it. I feel like I can treat the patient. You know, you can evaluate, you can treat, you can reeval, you can see what worked, what didn't. You can, it's just, and, and, and you don't feel like there's like a timer, like an egg timer mm -hmm. set because yeah. that next person's coming in on the half hour or, right. or, or God forbid, the 20 minutes. minutes. <laughs> I don't know. I've never yeah. worked in a clinic where I had to see more than two people an hour. Yeah. I've, I've seen it in rotations and then of course heard it from so many others, you know, yeah. that I've talked to about this model that tell me their stories and it's, it's, it's widespread. It's very common. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I've, I guess I've been lucky. I've never worked in uh, the only places I've ever worked in, as you see, uh, a patient for an hour for an eval and then half hour treatments. Okay. So, That's pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah. It was nice. Um, okay. So enough talk about uh, all of this, although I feel like we could go on forever, but sure. I want to get, I want to get to the book. So the Medicare and cash pay physical therapy, that is the name of the book. Um, what was the impetus for writing the book? Well, the impetus for writing it was, I'd back up and say the impetus for learning this stuff was was for myself. You know, I had to figure it out for my own practice. And then as I got into helping others in this model, the impetus for writing it became the fact that other than how do you start and market this type of practice, the 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 like number two or some I don't know, it's probably 50-50 that the questions were either marketing related or Medicare related. I mm -hmm. mean, it was just that, you know, asked about and that everyone needs to know that, you know, everyone needs to know this stuff. And, and, um, and, and I'll say this now in case I don't want to forget to say it later that with this book, it's actually not just directed at cash based, uh, cash based practices or out of network practices. It's actually based it. It's based on any type of practice. The idea is, what are the rules and regulations surrounding um, the taking of private payment from a Medicare beneficiary? Not necessarily that you're a cash-based practice. I mean, um, because the answer is that, you know, it depends on a number of factors. And so in the book, I, I delineate, okay, if you're a participating provider, this is, the, this is how it goes. If you're a non-participating provider, this is how it goes. If you have no relationship with Medicare, this is how it goes. So it's not just for cash-based practices, but it's basically just about when can we and can we not, as physical therapists, take private payment from a Medicare beneficiary. And so the impetus was just to kind of clear all that up because there's so much confusion about it. Most people need to know about it uh, if they're in this realm at all. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it's not that the book clears the fog completely in any way. There's still a lot of gray areas, um, but but the impetus was to create kind of a, a structure, a guidebook, a guideline for, okay, this is my relationship with Medicare. Um, is the, is the service covered or not? You know, uh, what if they have Medicare as a second, you know, Medicare as a secondary, what mm -hmm. if they're a Medicare advantage patient? What if this, that, that, you know, and just kind of answering all the, the most common questions. So that's kind of what drove me to do it and, and the general, you know, outline of the book. And, you know, you just mentioned, and it was actually going to be, uh, one of the biggest questions. And I actually just spoke to a PT about this yesterday. Really? Um, Yes, yesterday. And <laughs> I had just read over your book, so I knew oh, so all knew. the answers. You <laughs> see how good. that works? Very nice. Um, anyway, um, literally yesterday I got this question. So you just mentioned participating, non-participating, and no relationship. Mm -hmm. So what is the difference between the three of those? Just to clear that up. Okay. So yes, the, the, first, the first part of answering that question when can I or can I not take private payment from a Medicare beneficiary uh, depends on, or the first factor you have to look at is your relationship uh, or your practice's relationship with, uh, with Medicare. 
there are three different types. One is the first one and the most common is to be a participating provider with Medicare. Um, that means that you have, have enrolled in Medicare and have you're, you're doing something called accepting assignment, which basically means that you accept Medicare's set fee schedule as payment in full for a covered service. Right? The second is a non-participating provider. And this is really important to know that that is still an enrolled provider. You still enroll in Medicare, but instead of electing to be a, a participating provider, you elect to be a non-participating provider. Yeah, and I think that... That's a confusing part. That's the confusing part. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people think if you go on to Medicare and you hit non-participating that you're not in the Medicare system. Right, but you are. But you are. <laughs> and I think that's just... Poor choice of words. Yeah, it, it is. You know it what really I mean? is a terrible misnomer. It's, it it's really a terrible is. choice of words. There's got to be a better, <laughs> a better way to word that. I don't know right. what that is, but it has to exist. Okay, so what does that mean? Non-participating. Leave it, leave it to Medicare, right? Right. Uh, to, to come up with that one. So, what it, the rules and regulations change a little bit, right? So, um, it it doesn't mean that you you can just charge whatever you want. Um, you can choose on a case-by-case basis to accept assignment and, and, and take Medicare payment as, I'm sorry, the Medicare fee schedule as payment in full for a service. And you can also choose to not accept assignment. But that doesn't mean you can charge whatever you want. There's still a limiting, what's called a limiting charge to what you can, you can charge uh, a patient for a covered service um, if you're a non-participating provider. And that limiting charge in most cases is you can charge basically 15% over, I'm sorry, I'm just going to say it this way. You can charge 115% mm-hmm. of the fee schedule for non-participating providers. This is where other people get confused as well. It's not 115% of the fee schedule for, of the regular Medicare fee schedule. It's 15, it's 115% of the fee schedule for non-participating providers. And that fee schedule for non-participating providers is actually 5% less than the Medicare physician fee schedule, the, the right. main fee schedule. So what that what that looks like is you end up charging 115% of 95% of the normal rate. And you come out with, if you're a non-participating provider, in most scenarios, you can charge 109.25% of the of the regular, you know, of the regular uh, fee schedule. So if someone would have uh, had a bill, if you would have sent a bill for $100 to Medicare, you can actually charge $109.25. Now, there are a few caveats to that. Some um, states, and I know New York is one of them, actually lowers the limiting, uh, the limiting charge that you can, you can charge. So um, I think, I don't remember the exacts for, for New York, but the take-home point is that um, don't just, if you're a non-participating provider, don't just think, oh, I can charge, you know, 109.25% of the Medicare fee, fee schedule. You need to check and make sure that your state is not one that actually lowers that limiting charge. And then also the limiting charge can be further lowered if you are not in compliance with um, the EMR requirements and also uh-huh. with the, P- the new PQRS requirements. So um, it, there's a lot of technical stuff. And I, in the book, I explain exactly where to go to figure out how, what your actual fee schedule would be and you know where to figure out if, so if you're state. There are actual links embedded in the book. Yeah, there's okay. tons. That's a huge part of the value of the book is that it links out to stuff like that. So you can do those calculations, uh, you know, who you would call to figure out if your state, um, you know, uh, lowers the limiting charge, who, you know, what parts of the law, um, you know, all of the, all the rules and regulations are coming from. So yeah, there's tons of links. So, so let me ask, what's the benefit of being a non-participating at provider? It seems like it's a little bit more confusing. Yeah. So that's, a, a that's one work. of the, <laughs> that's one of the, the parts of the Q and a that I answered. And so a lot of people will say, you know, if you, if you still have to undergo, you know, if you still have to, um, deal with all of the paperwork and headaches of, of Medicare, if you still have the risk of an audit, um, and especially if you're in a state that doesn't allow you to charge that extra 9.25%, mm-hmm. um, does it make sense to be, why, you know, why would anyone be a non-par provider? Yeah. And, and, and this is, this is the situation. If, if you're in a, uh, if you're in an area 
where the majority of the population needing physical therapy and coming to your clinic is is you know a Medicare of Medicare age, um, and you feel like to survive you really need to be able to provide them with covered services. That would probably be an instance where I would go non-participating as opposed to just no relationship at all. Mm-hmm. Because with no relationship at all, and I'm sure we'll kind of I'll dive a little deeper into this. When you have no relationship at all, um, there's only very few instances where you can actually provide covered services to Medicare beneficiaries. Mm-hmm. So going back to the idea of okay, if you want to be able to provide covered, you know, skilled physical therapy um, to Medicare beneficiaries. Uh, then the non-par thing becomes a little more attractive. You can charge a little bit more in, in most cases, um, and you get to you get to collect that money up front. That's another component of it: is that you can collect the money in full at the time of service from the Medicare beneficiary. So from you, the pa- the patient yes. would pay you. So if let's just say we're going to simplify this, mm-hmm. um, the limiting charge is a hundred dollars. So you charge the patient. $109.25. Will it be more that or the whatever. regular fee schedule charge is 100 and right. your limiting charge is then 109.25? So the patient pays you 109.25 up front. Mm-hmm. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. So they pay you up front <laughs> and then you have to then send in the to bill submit. to Medicare. Got it. And then Medicare, since you're a non-par provider, should know that they have to reimburse the patient the directly. Patient. Okay. And so it's a little bit more, it's obviously more out of pocket up front for Mm -hmm. the patient Mm -hmm. and maybe a little bit more out of pocket because of that extra 9.25, you know, Mm -hmm. um, but they're still going to get that 80% back that Medicare, um, usually would cover, you know, up, up front when you do the billing. So, you know, because you can, collect that money up front. You're not waiting for them, you know, to, 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 uh, send, send the money to you. And because you can still provide covered services to, you know, Medicare beneficiaries in some, you know, demographic scenarios, then it really does make sense. And also, you know, some physical therapists can't imagine practicing physical therapy without being able to, um, to treat that population, you know, for some people, it's really important. And I mentioned that too. It's like, if you, if you can't, you know, if you're going to be you know, just really heartbroken over having to turn all your Medicare patients away, then, you know, it, it's, an, it's an option to look at, you know? Um, so that, so that's kind of the answer is, is for, those, for those two reasons is why it actually makes sense. And, uh, being a participating provider, that's when you would collect your copay from the Medicare beneficiary, then submit to Medicare and Medicare reimburses you as the clinic. Yes. Yeah. I mean, to, yeah. to keep it real general. Yeah. General, yeah, just so people have an idea of the difference between participating exactly. and non-participating. And but key, either way, you're still in the Medicare system. Exactly, and the key there is that is that you know the the practitioner, the provider is always having to send the bill to Medicare. I mean, the uh, patient that, cannot send in their own bill to no, Medicare. No, no, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, the, the, the provider that's, that, and that goes to the mandatory, what's called the mandatory claims submission rule that if the services, if you provided a covered service to a Medicare beneficiary, you have to send a bill to Medicare. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And, and you have go, to be that, part of the Medicare system in order to do that. In order to do that, you can, yeah, you can't, you, you can't be a non-enrolled, uh, provider, you know, and not be part of their system and actually send them a bill and expect, you know, to get paid or, or yeah. to have payment sent to the, to the patient. So therein lies this kind of ironic catch 22 situation, uh, for those like us who have no relationship with Medicare. And, and can that, you just quickly define no relationship with Medicare? I know it sounds very self-explanatory, but can you just embellish sure. on that a it's, little bit? No, it's fine. I mean, this is, it's really, it's confusing stuff to keep yeah. it all straight, but, um, you know, essentially it's just that, you know, you're a physical therapist, but you've never enrolled, you've never reached out to Medicare and say, hey, I want to enroll in your system either as a participating provider or as a non-participating provider. So you, you, you have no relationship with them. Okay. Let's say you used to have a relationship with them mm-hmm. and when you worked in another clinic and you yourself have a relationship with them, you have to sign up, you know, as an individual in order to treat versus... Mm-hmm just being under like the EIN of the clinic. Mm -hmm. And then you go out on your own 
and you no longer want to be enrolled, can you get out of the Medicare system? Yes, absolutely. You and go and, and we'll, we'll talk about opting out. This does not mean opting out. Yeah, exactly. But, I was going to say that too, but that's yeah. a good point. Yeah. So um, how once you're in it, can you get out? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's. There, I have a link in the book, and um, you you know you basically you go to the Picos P E C O S. I think I don't know if it's dot com or, or dot gov or dot org, <laughs> but you go to the Picos website and um, but I have a direct link to it. You you have to fill out this. You can do it online or you can fill out this paperwork, send it in, and unenroll. But like you said, and and I figure we get to it um, at some point. You know, opting out is not it's not the same as as unenrolling from Medicare is not opting out, nor is our situation, your, your situation in mind, where we just don't have a relationship with Medicare, that is also not opting out. Opting out, physical therapists are not on the list of providers who are allowed to opt out of Medicare. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And is there a change, could that change? Is there anything happening in Congress that might yeah. change that? <laughs> yes, luckily. I mean, the I don't know if what the chances are of this bill doing Passing. anything because yeah. the the same, you know, basically the same exact bill was was part of the last Congress and it it didn't even get a hearing, you know. It didn't that, even get out of committee. No, it, it, no yeah, it didn't no, it didn't even get a hearing in committee. Ugh. Like, you know, so, so yeah. it, it had a long way to go. Um, but yeah, so HR 1650 is the bill that, and it's a beautiful thing. I, I read it and it, it is a wonderful thing because it's, it's far superior that a lot of people think, oh, it'll just add physical therapists to the list of providers who can opt out of Medicare. Why we weren't on the, that list, I don't know. But the, the way it's set up right now, Medicare has still made it very difficult and tedious in, in different ways for those practitioners who do opt out. You're essentially still part of the Medicare. So you like enroll. They like, you know, they find a way to put their thumb, you know, get you under their thumb in mm -hmm. some way, right? You still have to deal with a bunch of stupid regulations. And with this bill, it's not about just adding physical therapists to the opt out. It's that, you know, it basically um, allows all providers uh, who to, to basically contract privately with beneficiaries when the beneficiary wants to do that or when the provider wants to do that. But they can also participate with and bill Medicare when when it's necessary. So, it, I mean, you know, Medicare beneficiaries should be free to spend their money how they want. Why mm -hmm. Medicare is forcing them like, no, you can't spend your own money. You need to spend the money in this broken system. You know, mm -hmm. like it's like, why would you not? allow beneficiaries to spend their money the way they want. But with the regulations they place on all of us, they are basically forcing that to happen because we're so limited in allowing uh, beneficiaries to actually pay us privately, mm -hmm. especially as physical therapists since we're not on that opt-out list. So this bill wouldn't just add us there. It would actually change the whole structure of things in a really positive way, in my opinion. And so um, if you are listening to this and you'd like to know, kind of get updates on that bill and know how you could support efforts to get it passed, you can go to mymedicare-mychoice.org, mymedicare-mychoice.org. And uh, check that out. Great, thanks. That's very helpful. I get a little passionate about that. I don't know if I was raising my voice too much. But, no, 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 no. It's uh, it, it. I mean, this is just something that makes sense. I mean, you know, it, it's the United States. We should have they sh people should have the freedom to go and see whoever they want. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know. and, you know, when they come to us right now, you and me who don't have relationships and it's like, really, that's where the, the biggest gray areas are. And you got to be really careful about how, you know, what was said and how you framed it and blah, blah, blah. And we can get into that here in a minute if you want. But yeah. it's, yeah, it's, a, it's a bummer of a situation currently. Yeah, it, it is. And, and let's get into that. So some people call this a quote unquote loophole mm -hmm. for patients uh, to see patients on a cash pay basis. So outside of seeing a patient for, for wellness or general fitness, which, which we can do, um, are there ways to see patients for physical therapy that, that, that are Medicare beneficiaries? Yes. Yeah, so I, I wouldn't call it a loophole because, well, for one, I think loophole has a negative, a negative connotation. But that's what, you, that's what you hear. 
you yeah, know, you that's like, that. cause I get questions. I got a question on that. They're like, what is that loophole or what is the, yeah. and, and at conferences you, you hear people talk about loopholes. And then a lot of people say there are no loopholes. If you see someone who is Medicare, you know, I think someone said, Oh, I hope you like the color orange, <laughs> you know, as if you're going to go to prison. So, so um, what's the deal? So, so let me just put in the disclaimer. I'm not an attorney. And in right. a, a lot of my book, I mean, I'll be honest, a lot of it, not a lot of the book, but many times in the book, probably to protect myself as much as anything is that I say, you know, you need to confirm how you want to proceed with your attorney. Because 100%. though there are some very, you know, clear cut things that I, I'm confident to say like this, these are the rules, these are the regulations. Medicare has actually made this point clear. Um, this is one of those areas where a lot of it is, is left up to, to interpretation. And in my research here, whether it was CMS or certain, you know, professional organizations or independent uh, compliance experts and, and attorneys, the answers and the interpretations vary widely. And so it, it, this is one of those areas where I have to say, look, I'm not an attorney, you know, don't take this and run with it in the wrong direction. Like you need to, you need to clarify if you're going to move forward on this and see Medicare beneficiaries based on this part of the law, it's not a loophole, it is a part of the law, um, then you need to be really careful about it. And I'll, I'll tell you, it's very rare that I see a Medicare beneficiary for a covered service mm -hmm. because it's very rare that they've, they do what I consider to be um, in line with this part of the law. So let me, so it's basically the exception to mandatory claim submission, because if you, if you're listening to this and you remember what was said just, just a little bit ago, that if you provide a covered service to a Medicare beneficiary, regardless of your relationship with Medicare, whether you're enrolled or not enrolled, you still are required by the mandatory claim submission rule to send in a claim for that bill. But of course, if you're not enrolled in Medicare, you can't do that. So for that reason, in most cases, we as non-enrolled uh, physical therapists can't see Medicare beneficiaries for covered services. I will say as a little side note um, that, <laughs> and I'm, I'm a little hesitant to say this, but there are some legal authorities out there that say, you know what, I don't see any legal precedent for why uh, the mandatory claim submission or any of these Medicare regulations apply to physical therapists who are not contracted or enrolled in, Medi in Medicare. I mean, that's a pretty bold statement. That's a and big I'd, statement to make. It is. It is. And I, I wouldn't really want to be the one to test that theory. No. Um, but, you know, just to show the the span of replies and 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 to my questions and, and the things I've heard on this topic. I mean, that there's a really broad spectrum of, of what people, how people interpret this, but I function and I say, you know, if you want to be as safe as possible, I would function on the idea that the mandatory claim submission does apply to all physical therapists. Mm -hmm. And so with that said, there is this one exception to it. And I'm, I have it here in front of me and I'm just going to read it to you guys. So it says, the only situation in which non-opt-out physicians or practitioners or other suppliers are not required to submit claims to Medicare for covered services is where a beneficiary or the beneficiary's legal representative refuses of his or her own free will to authorize the submission of a bill to Medicare. So, you know, again, this is up for interpretation, but Medicare never explained why they put this in there. Um, they never explain their intent for it uh, or what would be a proper or improper or illegal use of this part of the law. But essentially, if a beneficiary of their own free will says, hey, you know, like, I do not want Medicare to receive bills for this. I am refusing to authorize the submission of bills to Medicare. Apparently, based on this, that is their legal right to do so. <clears throat> Okay, so the where it gets really unclear is <clears throat> how you define uh, a scenario in which they have they have of their own free will, you know, said don't send in a bill to Medicare, or could, you know, could you if they if they call you up or you know meet you somewhere, you know, and they're like, hey, you know what, I know you don't participate with Medicare. I know you, you don't mess with insurance, but I want to see you anyhow. I really want to come see you. Is that okay? And that if you've not kind of 
persuaded them in any way to say that. Clearly, the statement that they made was of their own free will. Mm -hmm. But the question is, you know, can you equate um, that statement of, hey, I know you don't mess with Medicare and and I'm fine with with paying out of pocket. I want to come see you. Can you equate a statement like that with the refusal to authorize the submission of a bill to Medicare. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's that's for an attorney. That's yeah, for that's an attorney. You talk, to, you talk to a lawyer. Yeah. And so the the uh, one of the take home points of this is is other than just um, you know going through this with your attorney if you if you're going to have no relationship with Medicare and you want to be able to provide uh, covered services to them on a private pay basis is that you need to with your attorney not only go through all this and decide what you're going to do but you need to have a very solid um, procedures and policies manual by which you and all your staff follow to a T. Um, lack of having something like that, if you get called out, you are probably going to be screwed. Mm-hmm. So so make sure you've got really good procedures and policies manual. Make sure you've got a great pi- private contract um, also, you know, created with your attorney. And, um, and you know, that's, that's probably the best suggestion that I can make. The, the only cases in which I will see um, a, a beneficiary on a private pay basis are those situations where with without me saying anything, they preemptively, without me saying anything about not being a part of Medicare, they preemptively say like, hey, I know you're not part of that system and I want to pay you out of pocket. I, I you know, I want your services. In those situations, I do, you know, I do have them sign something uh, that kind of, you know, mirrors that and um and and we get started but and it's really rare actually most of the time when when people call uh they don't say that preemptively and 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 so i usually refer them out mm-hmm. and, and i've had other i've had other um groups or our private practice owners who have said hey well you know how do you know if they don't you know they might not know to say it preemptively but they do know that you're cash based i mean can't can't you explain the situation to them and i'm like you know no. maybe you can maybe. maybe you can't that you got to ask your attorney t- on that yeah you know? i i think that's where the the waters get a little murky yeah. Yeah, there's a lot. And I try to, in the book, explain the different approaches that different practices make. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously the the safest, lowest risk is that if you don't have a relationship with Medicare, if you're not enrolled, that you just refer those patients out. Mm-hmm. Um, then you can kind of, you know, then there's the whole spectrum of, of from that point to those who just say, you know, any Medicare beneficiary that calls, they say, look, we don't provide or we don't participate with Medicare um, and you'll need to sign something when you come in in order to get started. And, and it's like a private contract. But uh, I would be really careful mm-hmm. about that. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. So, yeah, but some, some practices do that and haven't had any problems. But I, I think it's because um, I think it's because Medicare doesn't know CMS doesn't know it's happening. And as soon as somebody decides that they're going to try to send in a self-claim or something like that, then they're, they're probably going to be dealing with some issues. Yeah. Yeah. Then you may be in trouble there. And now you had mentioned private contracts in the book and, and this will probably have to be the last thing that we're going to talk about. No problem. No problem. (laughs) But in the (laughs) book, um, you sort of talk about the advanced beneficiary notice or the ABN and an individual contract. You just mentioned having the patient sign an individual contract. Are they the same thing? No, not exactly. Um, with an ABN, an a, you, if you focus, ABN stands for Advanced Beneficiary Notice of Non-Coverage. And a good way to delineate between the two is to focus on the word beneficiary in ABN. So in, in most cases, an ABN is only used in situations where the patient is or was utilizing their Medicare quote, benefits, right? Okay. And, and, and then those services for, for whatever reason may no longer be covered. And usually it's a situation where the physical therapist or uh, CMS um, has come to the conclusion that, that, that those services are no longer medically necessary. They're no longer reasonable and medically necessary, in which case the, the physical therapist would explain that to the beneficiary and have them sign an ABN that those services may or may not be covered anymore. Um, and so that's when you would use in most cases an ABN, the private contracts. Um, well, first of all, you know, this term private contracting, that's usually associated with those opt out situations. And it's not, um, it's not the same thing here. I'm not talking about 
okay, physical therapists can privately contract in terms of opting out. It's, it's in those situations where the Medicare beneficiary has said, hey, you know, I don't want any bills being sent to Medicare. They've refused the author- authorization. Um, in that situation, they're not using their Medicare benefit anymore. So you wouldn't necessarily use an advanced beneficiary notice. Um, then in that situation, you'd want to have like a more of a private contract that they sign. Um, so that's kind of the delineation between the two. And it, again, I'm not an attorney in the, the, you know, in terms of contracts, you definitely want to have them work those out, but, but there is a slight difference in those things. And in, in the case of like never covered services, like wellness, fitness, mm-hmm. um, you know, prevention, you can have them sign an ABN, you can have them sign a private contract, uh, but those, um, in those situations, it's actually not legally mandated to have anything signed. But I think in the in the uh, interest of just transparency and, and clarity for your patients, you probably do want them to know, hey, these are services that are never covered. And mm-hmm. I want you to sign here saying that that you understand that what you're about to you know receive is not a covered service and you'll be paying X amount up front for it. Got it. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So, so if you're seeing a patient for a wellness visit or and and those are sort of defined as non-skilled services so services that could be uh given by a personal trainer an aide whatever a family member so non-skilled services well to also the just to, just as a little addition and, and that's a whole that's a big one part of the Q&A um with the whole skilled versus non-skilled or mm-hmm. wellness stuff is that it's not just that they could be provided. It's that by a non, an unskilled personnel. It's that they could be provided by unskilled personnel without the supervision without of a skilled the supervision. physical therapist. Yeah. Right. If, if that supervision is needed, then that would still, as many out there who are participating with Medicare know, then that can still be a covered service. But if it's if that supervision is not needed and an unskilled personnel can can provide it, then yeah, generally that's not going to be a, a covered service in most cases. Uh, and then you could do you could provide that service mm-hmm. um, on a cash pay basis. Got it, got it. Well, listen, there's a lot more to this book. I mean, I feel like we just cracked the surface here yeah, on the yeah. stuff that we spoke about. And believe me, I read the book yesterday. Um, I was telling Jared, I'm like, yeah, I read it yesterday. Like as if I'm some sort of speed reader or something. Wow. But I really did read it, which which just proves one thing that I had a busy day yesterday and spent a lot of time on the subway and the bus. Yeah, that's good. Because busy. I, yeah, I read the book, um, read the book in a day. Now I didn't click through all the links, and I think yeah. that's the important thing to point out here that a lot of the stuff that that we've said and and you can probably go through some of Jared's blogs and and other listservs online to find a lot of this information. But the important thing about the book is it's filled with links that back up sort of the evidence behind everything that's in the book. And I think that's very, very important. And that's, it's nice to have all of those resources um, in one spot. So well done. Well, I appreciate it. I'm I, I really do appreciate you uh, going through it and and uh, having me on the podcast here. It's a it's a really important topic, not just for um, and I'll end with this. It's it's an important topic, not just for cash based practices, but I believe for all practices because as Medicare uh, reimbursements and insurance ba- and reimbursements in general get worse and worse, which they will, mm-hmm. especially with the exiting of the baby boomer population from the workforce. Um, you know, those practices that really thrive are going to be the ones that figure out how to incorporate those cash-based services and be able to transition um, their Medicare beneficiaries into that fitness program, into that wellness program, and also know here and there what the rules are when one of them says, hey, I don't want to bill Medicare for this. You know, Mm -hmm. can you do that? Can you not? So it really applies to all types of practices. And I think it'll become even more important in the future as those that realize, holy crap, you know, we've got to get some cash pay revenue going here or we're going to go under. Um, That's where I think this is really going to hit home and and be a useful tool. Yeah, I agree. And and again, thank you for, for writing it. Now, the most important part, where can people get it? Right. If you're interested in the in the book itself, then you can go to cashptmedicare.com, cash 
ptmedicare.com. All one word, no dots, no yeah, dashes. Okay. Yeah, just straight through. Um, and then if you're interested in in just, you know, the cash-based business model and all the, the writing and whatnot and podcasts that I do on that, you can go to drjaredcarter.com. It's D-R-J-A-R-O-D-C-A-R-T-E-R. Uh, dot com and and there's a ton of info there and and I have a number of posts on the Medicare topic there also if you you know uh, throughout the website there are places to sign up on my email list and the first thing you're going to get is actually like I don't it's probably about the first 15 or 20 pages of this book oh great and so it doesn't you know it's not the entire book but you get like the the general structure yeah yeah so, yeah. So if you're interested in any component of that, then you can find those things in those places. Great. Well, thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate it. And, you know, it, always a pleasure to talk to you. And twice in one week was great. So thanks awesome. so yeah, much. Yeah, I, I agree. And we should do it more. And thank you again for having me on. Anytime. And everybody, thank you so much for listening. Have a great week and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. <laughs>